And welcome to the fifth episode of the first Fizzy Sherbet season. This episode, we venture or we move to the UK and to specifically to London. We have a fantastic play called Eulogies by Lachey Green, which was directed by the wonderful Erica Miller. So, and who is with me now? So, my name is Hello. <laughs> yeah, hello, Erica. My name is Lily McLeish. I'm your host and also the editor. And in style, I get to do what I want to do in the beginning. And so, I'd love to talk to Erica a bit about her direction of eulogies and uh, maybe to kick us off, Erica, what was it that drew you to the play? Essentially, what I loved about it, it was that it was a cast of three black women. And essentially, it was about West London and places I knew and experiences that spoke to me that aren't necessarily my experiences, but I feel a lot of people can understand about trauma, about generational pain, and about trying to figure out your place in the world and who and what you want in it. And that spoke to me and I'm hoping it will speak to you too. So Erica, without sort of like wanting to, obviously we're going to listen to the play in like a couple of seconds, but what struck me when I heard it was uh, the sound design, which I think is really wonderful and beautiful job that Sarah Saeed made and obviously you directed. But there's a sort of the very specific treatment of the voices and just the sound design. I just thought maybe, could you tell us a bit about what you were, what your thoughts were? Okay, well, we worked out when we were recording it on Zoom that, you aren't necessarily going to have a zoom is actually quite efficient for sound if that makes sense mm-hmm. essentially it just wants to make sure you can hear it and it compresses it and it because it has to go across the nations the world etc and so on the sound is slightly more compressed than it would be if you're recording in a studio so when we listened to it back we were like there's a sort of quality that's already there and so we thought we should and sarah suggested that we should lean into it and also wanted it to feel as though they're sort of alone in the world, empty, where you can only hear their story. So we really lent into that. And also Shay had come up with uh, the sounds that she wanted to have played. And so we went with those sounds. And my job with Sarah was to deliver that and also um, put my own tweaks in that. I was like, OK, that's the sound she wants, but that I don't feel that that's the sound that she wanted to hear. <laughs> exactly like that could be for instance like this sound of a digital clock that sound didn't emotionally hit me right Mm -hmm. so so I'd pick I'd pick a different sound for what I wanted a digital clock to sound like Mm -hmm. Um, so that kind of thing and um so it was just amazingly helpful and it's fun to hear the end result so proud of it did you feel it was different for directing to stage uh yes and no partly because we did it through zoom so you could see them and were there at the same time so essentially this was the first one that I actively were involved in and it was the same as making theatre because I could see the actors and we could go through it together but it was different in that essentially when we had to record it they had to speak at different times and then you go back after what the words are and that you basically edit it together and go okay I like that bit of that performance I like that bit of that performance and you can't do that on stage it it is what it is and every night is different but 
I don't have the ability, and thank God I don't, <laughs> to go, no, no, <laughs> stop right now. You know that line again? Uh, not, in, I mean, in rehearsals, yes, but not once it's out there live. It's very much in the talented hands of the actors at that point. Yeah. So it's slightly more full control. The director has full control of the... Whoa. Never yeah. let me have full control. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so who do you have playing in eulogies? Okay. For older, we have Rolly, who's amazing. Uh, for younger, we have Sophie, who's also fab. And lastly, for the young daughter, we have, who's Lila Rose, we have Chanel. And they're all really talented and a really joy to work with. And they bring it to life. Fantastic. Well, we can't wait to listen to their performance. So I guess, unless there's anything else you would love to say about eulogies, uh, Lachey is an amazingly lovely person and a really great talent and very generous and kind. And that was a joy to work with her. I really wish her well and I hope everyone enjoys it. And with that, I think enjoy Eulogies by Lachey Green. Scene one. Two women, older and younger, stand side by side these two represent one individual as a teen, 18, and as adult, 37. The two are self-reflecting an account of their life. But maybe there is no in-between, nowhere in to be, for we are above thee, and this everyday purgatory keeps me silent and unseen. We colour in words just to have a story to tell, and if I'm honest, it's not in between when it's bottom barrel hell. Where thumbs push down on veins, ink stains that savour the pattern only our hands have the pleasure to hold. I give you my hand. And I give you mine. Hands are the biggest sign of love. And we let the warm kiss the soft lips of the cold. Hands never feel lonelier when there is nothing to latch onto. I am scraping at the sides of life, soap slips, lost grip, and I trip over words to find the way to tell you that I am more than my mistakes. The first time I had ever felt loneliness creep into my body and settle like a seeker of asylum was when my dog ran away. I was nine at the time and I cried the whole night trying to sit by the window and wait. That windowsill began to hold my shape because little did I know I'd always be looking for something that wasn't coming home. Because then, Mum ran away too. You can't replace a parent. Not with no cheap compromise Dad found at the lines in each time. Though I never cared to share it. I hate her for leaving me. But can I blame her for leaving me? Where most children fix the cracks in a loveless place, I did the opposite. I shat on it and vomited. I came home and put a bomb in the upstairs cupboard. From then, Mum was never the same. She got quiet, never smiled. She tucked her lips in, dipped her chin, never held me, never grinned, never stroked my cheek, never played with my chubby baby feet. 
Dad tries to get her back to routine, but nothing could make her want to try, it seems. The thing about the bomb I planted was that the damage I caused was painfully delayed to destroy heart and home. Dad gets fed up, fucks Kathy from the calf, and Mum knows through word of mouth, because Kathy's always got a knickers down south, as Nan says. Mum's hands got lonely from the minute she held me. Dad's got lonely from the minute he removed the ring to feel less guilty about betraying his family. They never held hands anymore. But I don't hate my dad because he didn't leave me. And though my hands cracked and dried trying to climb out of hell, he held them. Each new layer of skin was welcomed by the hope there would be love for them to meet. Then it got weird. Mum started necking the beers. She had different friends who smelt like cigarette ends and hints of desperation and the upstairs of the 302 bus. Paper thin, whose hollow eyes loomed with echoes begging for help. Come back. I'm younger than me. I'm losing her. My mum was a closed door. I watched on as her eyes got sadder, her hands colder than ever. I heard shouts, but no words. Whispering, whispering. Less talking. Closed door. Closed door, closed. I told my dad I didn't care. But lies knew me so well when speaking them, I never choked. They say she found another bloke or a new dealer for the coke. The whole thing's a fucking mess. I'm the one who started it. I'm the reason Dad got left. I'm the fruit from the womb. And she kept me safe while I ripened. I'm the fruit of her labour. And I am only whole from the half she broke off to give me. Leaving her... Just that bit empty instead of full. I am the fruit that is bruised and disregarded, bitter instead of sweet because the apple never falls too far from the tree. Come closer to me. I always wanted children, my own family, big house, and I got some of those things. Just... One of those things. Because I lived in Wilsden in the smallest flat. But I had my own child. I stuck to some of the... Dreams. No. Plans. Lila Rose. The most delicate flower. And when I held it in my hands for the first time, I had never felt so much power to have made the perfect child. See... A woman's body is a garden that grows under any conditions, no matter how high the tide or dry the grass gets. It could rain for weeks, but I still made this human. Perfect cheeks, perfect chubby baby feet. I stroked her softly, showed her all the love denied to me. I met Daniel in college. 
And he was a sweet talker from the start. I could read in between the layers of his eyes. So deeply, I hid my infatuation with no disguise. Daniel was one of those guys who would see you and be like, (laughs) yo, my size. Over time, I peeled wallpaper back to see the paint left behind and he softened up, lent me his hands and it felt just right to hold. Answered questions I didn't even know I asked. Gave me reasons to believe there was life in the past where your old lover will find you in the next timeline. And Daniel was my line of time where everything made sense. We date. And it's fucking intense. I mean, your first love feels like acid on ket. And it's fucking intense. He loved me loudly, so loud it shouted into the ventricles of my heart. He spoke my love language so fluently it was his mother tongue. And as a boy from the ends, I didn't know he had it in him. He had parts of me in him. Parts of Wembley in him. Parts of Jamaica and Ghana in him. Parts of Notting Hill Carnival in him. Parts of Drill and Dance all in him. A year later, Lila Rose is on the way. I'll never forget the look on his face as it met mine. Like I told him, today, Dee, I'm going to kill you, cut up your body and sell it on Halston Market. Then that look of pure shock and impenetrable fear eased, and he smiled, said, Say so well, I'm going to be a dad. We're going to be a family. If you could sip feelings into bottles, that's the one I'd keep, preserved and safe, short and sweet. Dad wasn't too happy, but I was his little girl, so he had to be. Parenthood, duality. See, when I told you before I wanted my own little family, I really did get it. (laughs) Even if we're young, we'll make it through. And we do. Until eight months of Lila growing inside me. It's then the plants are ripped to the roots. Daniel sees ops in Stonebridge. They fight over postcode and street names, but don't claim them back. Said he's there to buck his boy. He's not into all of that. But they don't hear the word facing red. Now it's black versus black. Said, allow it, fam. I don't want to fight you because I know better than that. I know better than that because I'm going to be a dad. But the guy's not having it. And Daniel gets stabbed. Lifelines on palm sweat. Direct discovery on how much time you have left. Daniel just got the short end of the stick. I feel sick. I feel sick. Something died inside me too, as Lila grew. Can't have been pretty in there. I felt like my insides were rotting. Tarred and black. Just want to know why God took him back. Don't think there's a God, because why the fuck would he do that? I remember my dad saying, he's in a better place. But that better place was me. In the folds of my arms, 
in the short stretch of our flat on the night walk to Sainsbury's to get donuts, never custard, just jam. In between the space my fingers have, I raise my hand, fingers spaced apart, letting air fill the gaps, just calling to fill the cracks. He's not in a better place. Fuck that. Postpartum depression, the GP says. And I look at her like, huh? Say that again. Postpartum depression. Oh, do you have any history of that in your family? Genetics gives you more predisposition. Oh. Loss tattooed itself in every empty space on my skin. Pressed plasters on the lips of my pain. Because even though I lacked fundamental provisions to keep me sane, I gained Lila instead. Lost the best part of me, but I tried my best. I come closer to myself and I do sort it out eventually. Stuff my pain into back pockets. Let her see the painted version of me so she can attempt some form of happy that doesn't seem dysfunctional. She never asks much about her dad at all. But I never failed to tell her how much he loved her and loved me. As you can see, it was everything but easy. And if I could talk to my younger me, I would say... Pain is in our DNA? No, pain numbs itself, becomes a second skin. We wear it well. You wear it well. But how much more can we take? Tell me it gets better. Come on, tell! We'll grow out of that impatience, but you'll see for yourself. I have to let you go now know how to cut the losses we gained. Yet I frame images of you in my mind. The younger me. Less age, but somehow more wise. I have to let you go. I've carried you so far. First steps are the hardest. You can run now. Scene two. Maybe happiness grew old, just waiting for me to sell myself the joy of anything, buy into the maybes. I've bruised my knees on hard floors searching for something, praying for more. Glass entering each crease of my knee, carving lines that leap red. A reminder this hurts, but it's temporary. You can never estimate healing time. I am the first layer of paint before you do the second coat, thinned. You see what's behind it. You see the story before it. But wait for it to dry before you carry on. I think I waited my whole life for it to dry before I could carry on. Maybe there is no in-between. I am cold reads a life story before I was born. Lila Rose, I am built 
From the bricks that fell from broken homes to shelter me, hearts torn, shoes worn out from walking the distance with no end. But here is the end. Maybe secondhand pain doesn't have to break us too. Watch and wait for it to infect your soul, but what good will waiting do? I am conditioned to know the past is present. It lives through me. Because I am testament to the fact that renewal is inevitable. And my mother's love lives through me. And hers before her. Yes, sometimes it hurts. Intergenerational curse. Singing the same song in verse. I'm changing the words. Learning myself. Learning time. Taking the longer sentences in my story and throwing them into the night as stars. North is true. If you follow what they tell you, you will see the hardest parts that got you here are never in vain. Show you pain is not end. Simply a beginning. I don't really think about the in-between. I make my own way through the key. And sew the holes in our story. I give you my hands. And I give you mine. Secondhand pain doesn't have to break us too. We'll sew the holes in our story. Hello and welcome to the Frizzy Sherbet podcast. I'm Josephine Start here with my co-host Lily McLeish. Hello. Hello. And uh, we're joined today by the wonderful Lachey Green, who is the writer of Eulogies. Um, so Lachey is a poet, spoken word artist, playwright and writer. Um, born and raised in London, she still resides in the borough of Brent in the heart of northwest London. And she recently graduated uh, with a degree in English literature and creative writing from the University of Winchester. And she's beginning to start her creative career, focusing on fusing her passion for poetry with her newfound love of theatre. Um, so hi Lachey, hello. Hello. So nice to have you here today, how are you going? Thank you for having me. I'm good, I'm good, I'm excited to talk about this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So Lachey, we are called Frizzy Sherbert and mm-hmm. this question that we like to kick off every episode with is um, completely not related to writing in any way, uh, <laughs> yeah. which is that we like to ask everyone if they have a sweet from their childhood or from their life that has a story for you okay I was thinking about this so there was these sweets they were called like frosties they were like kind of like cola cubes but they were like chewy in the middle and I loved them when I was younger but it's not so much of a story as much as it gives me like a feeling like this like nostalgic happiness that I just remember like it's so random like I just remember like going to the post office with my mum because that's why I'd buy them but I don't know, they just made me feel like when I was young, just, you know, 
being what a child is, <laughs> enjoying life. Yeah, those are my favorite. They don't sell them anymore. I'm upset about it. Oh, that's the same. I know. They're like cola flavor. Yeah, and they were like round, and they had like sugar on the outside, and the inside was like chewy. Like they were the best things ever. Like I'm getting upset talking about it because oh. I'm never gonna taste it again. <laughs> I've never even heard of those. And I've had a similar um, grow up in the you know in in London as well. So that must yeah. be niche. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think this week you get the post office. That's amazing. Yeah, you just know like the random sweets they used to have in the post office, and it was just there. Yeah. That's what it reminds me of, which is completely random. The post office. Um. <laughs> no, but I think you know an instant, uh, you know, taste or smell that can transport you back to your childhood and something sort of really profoundly, you know, sort of warm and good is a really fantastic thing to have. What a shame that those sweets do not exist anymore. I know. Why do they discontinue these things? Bring them back. I'm gonna start a petition. <laughs> So we've just listened to Eulogies, your fantastic play. And obviously we'd really love to talk to you a bit about this play that you've written and to kick us off, maybe to just start talking about it. What was the inspiration behind the play? So inspiration. So I actually wrote it when I did a Young Writers programme with the Kiln Theatre last year. And we did this exercise, which were like, we had to think of this character and keep this character in mind. And we basically mapped their life. So we went through the years of their life. So we did like zero to five, like birth, yeah, from birth, um, then like five to 10, 10 to 15. And basically in these like periods of time, you have to just put down all the important life events that's happened to your character. And we did this all the way from like zero to death. And so by the time we did that, we were like, oh my gosh, like there's, there's a whole life on this paper. And it was supposed to just be an exercise to kind of get us like, closer to our characters but I realized oh my gosh like this random idea I've created this entire life for them and all these experiences and all these different events and so I just went off that also we had read Funeral Flowers by Emma Dennis Edwards and that was the first time that I'd seen poetry kind of fusing into theatre and I thought I completely loved this so with that in mind and the workshop that we did with like the ages that's how I got a play yeah and so you so was the play um the the play that you now have eulogies was that like a section of that exercise or was it kind of taking kind of piece of the exercise and then bringing them together yeah it, it, it was definitely a section it was like for example like as you can tell with the play it goes through emotions goes through different periods of the life so I took like some of those life experiences and just fed them into the story where you as your older self and your younger self are just going back and forth about these experiences and lamenting almost kind of one's coming at it in a really like immature and understanding it that way and the older person's like well I've lived through this and I get the experience now so here's kind of like my attitude towards it Yeah. yeah Yeah, I love the idea of having the two voices of yourself within sort of 20 year gap, yeah. uh, reflecting on these events that have happened in their past, one much closer to the events and the other one yeah. with a lot longer space between. I thought that was really uh, powerful. Because mm. what I had found is you change, obviously, that's understandable, but it's more you are the same person, but going through different events is going to change you and then you're also going to see the events differently as you move on that's why I 
had these two voices younger and older because I was like this younger person has gone through all of this and this older person's gone through all of this now how do they look at each other and see each other and how do they kind of help each other heal where they are because I feel like as well like so much contributes to the human human experiences how much changes how much doesn't change but you're still that one person it's hard sometimes you might feel the divide between your younger self and your older self and I kind of just wanted to get that kind of tension through in in the play Mm. yeah and also like that yeah those differences but also those where things don't change as well like the symbols where someone can still feel essentially like very young but be old and yeah really interested like with the other characters as well that kind of that knowledge of oh I have a parent who's like this and that sort of underlying fear of kind of stories repeating as well yeah strong yeah Yeah. the theme of generations that runs through the family and also I felt like it touches also on the the idea of inherited trauma that passed on through generations yeah is that, is that something that you're really interested in exploring in your work or is there something particular to this play or? No, yeah, I definitely think so as well. I think when I was writing my dissertation, um, I wrote it about like just race and gender and literature and stuff like that. And I realised how much intergenerational like trauma runs through, especially black families. And it's really important narrative and I feel like it's really unspoken about sometimes. So I kind of really want to touch on that. Like A Raisin in the Sun is a play by Lorraine Hansbury and that's also kind of about that, but also trying to break out of that. And I think it's an important thing to speak of. I think a lot of people are a bit scared and it's a bit of a touchy subject, I get it. But um, I think there's something joyful in it in trying to write about it, getting it out there. And then in that sense, you are breaking through that and kind of just looking at it in a better way and making more for yourself yeah yeah I really it's really interesting actually hearing you talk about the process of how the play came to be and it being kind of about creating a whole life for these characters because I think Mm -hmm. when I was reading it one thing that really came through a lot and I really appreciated was the sense of the complexity but also like this very thoroughly built up world around the story of that trauma Mm -hmm. and um and I think one thing that struck me reading it was actually you know, that there's a lot of brilliant writing about, you know, postnatal depression and depression and lots of, you know, psychological conditions and illnesses um, that exists and is great, but a lot of it um, doesn't always acknowledge um, the outside world and the mm-hmm. part uh, that it can play and how a character experiences those things as well. So it can erase financial struggle, race, gender, you know, ability, all these things. And so I was just wondering, do you consider yourself a political writer in kind of being yeah. too much into the story or is or is it just simply being observant? Um, I, I, it's crazy because people always ask like, oh, well, you're a political writer. And when I was young, I used to be like, oh, politics, what do you mean? But then as I got older, I realised there's so much already politicised about me as a person, as a young Black woman. I am politics in a way there's that's gonna feed through in my work and when you start to realize certain things about the world that you don't like or the treatment towards depression and mental health issues and how it's so stigmatized yeah I definitely want to continue bringing a voice to those certain parts of life especially as someone who's also struggled with mental health issues I feel like it's really hard as well to get people to understand those things and how much it can affect you so yeah, I'm starting to find more confidence and feeling that through my work and letting people understand like these things carry. Yeah, yeah. 
but to have it so really just uh, it's not even a question it's just it's just praise for you but to have it so really in, in uh yeah just in in, in a unbelievable be- characters with yeah. lives you know because yeah. it's never distinct is it you know mental health right. conditions it's 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 completely threaded to the life and all those things yeah yeah I think as well it made me um going through it myself as I said like it's like you are living this double life because it's like you have your normal every day and then you go home and then all of that doesn't really exist anymore mm-hmm. so it, it really is threaded in our everyday lives you have to get up and go to work or go to school and do this but you're also battling this thing it's not it's not completely just like oh I'm depressed I'm laying in my bed and you don't move it's like it is like that but also like we also have to go through the lives and the everyday and that's hard and I think that's what I wanted to do with these characters because like they are still their people but there's so much behind them like weighing them down and yeah mm-hmm. yeah brilliant um let's talk a little bit about um poetry because that's your I know that's part of your background and you mentioned funeral flowers as well being a big inspiration mm-hmm. I do lots of poetry as well so I'm always just fascinated yeah. by people yeah. that, that bring in other disciplines um yeah so yeah what's the relationship for you between po- you know writing poetry and writing for theatre yeah so it was actually when I did the the writers program with the Kiln Theatre um I applied and then my mother I, like, I want to try something new I had done um, a module of playwriting at uni and I'm like oh this is cool um we read Leave Taking by Winston Pinnock and I was like oh my gosh like it's the first time I've seen like a black family in London being like, translated through theatre and I loved it um but I was like how do I translate my writing voice through the stage and I did this thing and I was like well let me just write what I know so I was like let me try and infuse poetry with my theatre um but poetry for me I've been doing it for like seven eight years and I started it when I was like 14 through um Slambassadors which was like a young poet network thing and there was a teacher in my school who was an art teacher by day and like a poet by night um <laughs> so curious he's like the coolest man to ever live the world um but he got me into that and yeah it, it's just been I've just always loved the way that poets use language and how we all use language differently to say the same things it's always gonna interest me so yeah that's kind of my relationship with it I've just kind of always been a poet before I did playwriting and then when I realized I could fuse the two it's kind of just made this like explosion of ideas in my head where I'm like okay like I can bring something engaging and new and still tell these stories in different ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's really exciting I think it was one of the things that really struck me about your play when I read it was that was the style of the the language and the form of it and Mm -hmm. I just really loved the fusion of poetry and sort of stage writing and I think it works incredibly well thank you thank you I was yeah this is the first play I ever wrote so I was like cool I want to come at it with what I know but I also want this to relay well on the stage and I thought for me I didn't really pause I didn't really have any background in theatre any knowledge I just kind of just went from the heart and just like I'm just gonna write this and hopefully it works and it did because here I am so yeah I'm really grateful. And you wrote it for stage in mind. So you had some lots of uh, gorgeous visual stage directions, which you've now turned into sound, so audio sort of directions, haven't you? So you've done sort of a bit of a redraft. And how's that been for you? 
yeah it's actually been a really exciting experience because obviously when I had a meeting with Erica the director she's like I can see you wrote this for the stage in mind um how do you feel about like where's the sound coming into this and I was like looking through it and I'm like perfectionist mode I was like right I'm gonna get rid of all the stage directions and I'm gonna put sound in there and I'm gonna translate this and it's gonna be fine <laughs> so I went away and I spent like three four days just going through it um and it was really exciting and it was also quite weird to kind of go through your own work but <laughs> I just would read it to myself and hear it and think okay what would sound good here and have my eyes closed in a sense because that's kind of what it is um when it's audio I still wanted it to be translated well through sound and not have those actions and get those clo the closeness and the distance in um so yeah it was a really fun process it kind of brought like a new life to it so yeah I really enjoyed it I love that word like translation I think it does feel like that doesn't it kind of being like yeah this, this art form can also be over here it's just a process of yeah swapping out and yeah and I think as well like even with that translation isn't that just like completely like that encapsulate the entire form like it can be visual it can be audio it can be so many things and it's also it can be accessible if you allow it to be so just translate like that's that's what I had in mind I was like okay if I couldn't see and I wanted to still understand this play and I'm hearing it what do I need to add to this to just understand it more because I guess with the younger and older how am I going to get that through through just voices so I really wanted to like push that through and just yeah create something completely new it was really cool yeah and was that your first time um has it been your first time kind of collaborating with a director on on your work then? yeah more or less um I wrote a short play for another company and um that one was like the director had a lot like more control I think when you're like newly starting out you're like I'm just gonna sit here and I'm gonna let you do what you do um <laughs> she was amazing she was great but um this is the fact like me and Erica were talking like we're literally collaborating like we're going off each other's schedules we're making plans we're doing this and we're doing that so it's really been cool to kind of be involved in this independently but also as a cohort with Fizzy Sherbet so yeah it's it's been it's been interesting but it's also been like a really good growing experience for me as an artist because I think I do have that when you're new you do have that tendency to just sit back and be like I will let everyone else do this because I don't know what I'm doing but yeah it's kind of just like no let's make these decisions together so yeah yeah having that confidence yeah which is hard to find when you're new because there's so many people who are going to tell you so many different things mm. and also it's like when you're a writer there's so many other people trying to do what you you're doing as well it's like am I doing enough am I doing something that people are even going to want um everyone's chasing the same dream but I feel like especially after leaving uni I'm like there's space for everyone there's space for everyone's story if that's what you want to do you can't let that kind of get in the way um so I'm definitely trying to find more confidence in that sense where it's like this is what I have to say and you literally need to hear it or else <laughs> so yeah we agree <laughs> I think it's about you know when you're starting out I think it's also about finding finding the right sort of collaborators and the right your team members who are sort of really gonna who get you, who get your work and who sort of, and you sort of start to share a vision together. And yeah. I think, you know, finding those right people early on is, is so key, I think, to having, you know, sort of really fruitful and imaginative, you know, processes 
and you can because there is no right or wrong way of doing things there's just a way and every way is different so yeah finding those people who are going to do that way with you is is great yeah for sure I I do have a lot of like friends who are poets and they want to do theatre as well or the other way around or I have friends who write theatre and they want to do poetry so I think as well like having that common ground with like those of creatives and those of writers and just kind of like helping each other creatively fusing inspiration like yeah it's, it's really it's really nice because we're all just trying to do the same thing we're all trying to create stories and get out there so yeah I'm starting to find those people in my little writers world who just kind of are coming along for the ride and we're kind of just there together experiencing it also that's also really nice yeah do you have any sort of dreams of work you'd like to make in the future dream collaborations Um, dream collaborations I think after this play I'd love to like write with like Emma Dennis Edwards Mm. something like that just I just reading like I read like one page of funeral flowers and you know you just get that feeling that's just like so indescribable you're just like oh my gosh this is like everything to me and more like it's just yeah it was great yeah definitely but also for me I'd, I'd just love to actually write a full full length play one day because obviously this is a short play and I've only ever written short plays um so I'd love to just actually just write an actual full length play <laughs> with more than three characters um which is actually oh my god so props to everyone who does it but yeah I'm, I'm working more on my craft to like kind of get to that point mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. amazing and I mean so so I, I write as well so I'm aware of mm-hmm. the annoyingness of this question in a way but okay. um, uh, but is there I don't know like a like a subject I suppose or kind of an area of interest that you would love to explore with your writing um Mm. next I think a big thing that I've always had in like my plays and my poetry is just my identity and how much goes into that and this is fed through in eulogies as well obviously it's literally speaking about one person's identity but also the dual split and identity of your younger and your older and how that's still within you existing in this big world there's so much that goes into people we are so complex and even us three women here like we have so many different life experiences and so many different emotions and so many different goals and pasts and futures and just identity is just the biggest thing for me I just want to keep clawing at the small bits that people don't want to speak on or they do speak on or not in a certain way um I just think it's interesting and there's always going to be something there so yeah I'm going to keep want to keep going I love that you say that sorry I just I just love it I don't know like it's just it's just really refreshing and lovely to hear a writer say something like I'm just interested in people and their psychology complexity and it's and it sounds it can because you know like I think it can sound kind of like you know not small because it isn't a small subject it's Mm -hmm. it's a huge subject but I think Mm -hmm. it's it's the basis isn't it of just good art is really getting that right I've always been ever since I was young I've always been curious about people and what they think or like you know when people like you say like people watching like I'm not like staring at people but I'm just thinking like what are you doing when you go home like what are you having for dinner like I'm always thinking about the really weird things and it's it that's kind of what feeds into like my curiosity in a way because I'm just like there's just so much happening for so many different people and you never know what someone is going through or has gone through and just kind of drawing that like everyday normal person quote unquote that you would kind of explain like 
categorized there's just so much more to people and I'm just constantly like in awe of that and wanting to just keep creating stories that feed the everyday into what's behind the surface I guess mm-hmm. yeah so I'm just wondering with with eulogies um mm-hmm. speaking of kind of like the we talked about like the poetic background to that one thing that that came up for me while reading it was that there's a lot of imagery around hands particularly mm-hmm. in the beginning of the play and then also this doubling idea as well and I wondered, is there a story behind that imagery in there yeah so um when I was writing I remember I said like hands the biggest sign of love and then I was just thinking and I was literally just like sitting like staring at hands like hands are like just so important like you hold hands or you like you know you you touch things um they're just really important tools um <laughs> and <laughs> really important tools yeah, um, and then I'm always like thinking about like symbolism and imagery so I was doing some research on it and I can't even remember what website I found it on but apparently there's like this old like theory that your hands and your fingers kind of symbolize like family mm-hmm. um so like your thumb I this is probably completely wrong but it's the same like idea <laughs> <laughs> but it's like your thumb is like the mother figure and then your index finger is like the children and whatever and then so on and so forth like your fingers kind of represent family and like love and once I had read that that kind of fed through the rest of the play and where just like fingers or space to fill the cracks like that's just to kind of describe the divide between the family and her mum and whatever so yeah that that was kind of a really weird quick like search I'm like is this even true I don't know but I'm gonna use it (laughs) I just thought it was really interesting and then especially with the doubles with eulogies I think again it was just that not only the younger and older version of yourself but it's like the pain that maybe inside you and just trying to push through as well there's there's a double to that kind of recognizing there's something here that needs to be healed but not actually knowing how to get there yet and I think that can really affect who, how you act and how you attempt life so yeah kind of with the doubles that was kind of what it was yeah interesting so yeah so I hadn't even thought so the idea of a kind of future double like a goal double as well not just a yeah. double but a kind yeah. of idealized yeah and that's the kind of reason why you have Lila Rose coming in at the end because she is the idealized version of both younger and older she Mm -hmm. has gone through everything they've gone through times two because it's like the pain of mother and the pain of her mother but she's like no I am the future and I'm gonna stop this pain here and I'm not gonna let this cycle continue because I know that this is a pain that can be healed and I don't have to then carry this on so that it'd be like Lila Rose and her older Mm. going through a similar situation yeah that was that was important in bringing in the daughter because I knew that I wanted to round it off in a nice way so that there is hope (laughs) that's the bad thing I learned but it's like what do you want to leave the audience with and the whole play is quite depressing but you have (laughs) the end where the daughter comes in and even though there's all this pain and all this loss, she is accepting it in a healthy way and saying, no, I, I want more. And you can also have more as well. She tells her mum, like, we can sew the holes of the story and secondhand pain doesn't have to break us too. Like, it is not too late for you to understand that you can move on from this. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. I feel like a lot of that, a lot of the language that 
we have that younger people to be honest have now around trauma but also just around you know any sort of mental health experience um yeah. it does feel like a real discrepancy I think generationally um, yeah. between younger and older people and I think sometimes those conversations can feel particularly delicate or difficult because actually the older person may not recognize or understand you know like just yeah agree you know yeah yeah I think it is very like it's becoming more normal conversation to be having especially amongst the younger people because I feel like there is for the older generation a quite you know dismissive attitude and approach towards mental health and it can get swept under the rug quite a lot especially as I was saying in my experience in a black family like it can be there and no one's gonna like say anything about it and it's gonna continue and continue and drive and drive which is unfortunate but this is why writing things like this is like completely changing the narrative because it's like acknowledging there's something that needs to be fixed and then trying to go ahead with that when you say partic- particularly within the context of, of a black family, it can be, yeah. is that, um, I'd, I'd love to hear a bit more on that. Like, yeah. Perspective. Like, do you think, is that because it's, there's basically added risk because, you know, you're, you're already in a vulnerable situation? more vulnerable? Yeah, I, I think maybe, but also culturally, I, I think sometimes it's like, oh, you're upset why (laughs) um and there might be questions towards it it's not completely it's not entirely my experience but it's what I've seen as well it's just completely dismissed and I think that that comes from a lack of understanding as well and a lack of education and that's not necessarily our fault that's quite a social thing I think there's not a lot of education in that sense like especially like going through school I can't tell you one time that I remember that we did a lesson on like mental health or anything like that which is probably your most vulnerable stage in life and you don't get told then so it's then hard to feed that through when you're an adult and you have these fully formed opinions because that's like someone telling you to do something you already know you're like what are you talking about kind of thing and it just completely continues to um just kind of lessen but yeah I think as well it is at a risk I think there's a lot of everyone knows there's a lot that that is quite dangerous about being a black person and I think mm. adding in mental health is just like mm. you know, it's gonna break the camel back here so yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah really what you said earlier as well sorry just circling back to something you said earlier which was you were sort of thinking what would you like to leave the audience with and mm. a sense of hope and mm-hmm. I think that's that's a really sort of it's always such an important question I think to ask ourselves you know what do we want to leave the audience with what do we want to or what is it we're sort of saying or you know what you know where do we want to leave our audience and is there anything do you feel like is there anything in the theatre you feel or in the arts actually or in poetry you feel you'll miss you know what would you like to see more of or is that you know I think it is more hope especially in regards to being a woman or a, the, the female experience or the black female experience in general or whatever it may be um because I feel like it is you know quite typically the pain of it and what goes into the pain of it and I know that might sound a bit weird coming from me with my my play because it is very it does focus on the pain quite a lot but it is that hope aspect that I want people to be left with as well and I think I wrote about this as well in my dissertation where I was saying can we have those black narratives without the pain are we just kind of reinforcing that negative stereotype where it's the same thing being churned out again and again and on the one hand yes it is the same old same old but if we don't write about it how are people ever going to understand our experience so I, I think 
I want to see that weaved in with the hope that we can go above it and kind of make more for ourselves in whatever aspect whatever experience we go through so yeah Mm -hmm. excellent thank you well on that note I was just going to ask you our uh, final question which is something that we're also asking everyone as we're sort of building a uh, archive or a list of uh, inspiring women are there any interesting women in the arts or otherwise who you are inspired by at the moment I'm gonna say my mum because she's gonna be like, you didn't mention me. So I'm gonna say my mum because, um, yeah, I grew up in a single parent household. And my mum's done everything for me, and that kind of female voice is really fed through in my work. So I'm gonna say that. Um, but then in the arts, Joelle Taylor is a poet, and she's been a mentor for me from when I was like younger. Um, really inspirational work. Things that I've seen recently. Um, Yasmin Joseph wrote Juve. That was amazing to see. Just like. Black Caribbean culture, Notting Hill Carnival, that was great. Jasmine Lee Jones is also really cool. So, yeah. Shout out to them. Amazing. So cool. Great list. Has, has, uh, does, does your mum read your work? Yeah, she does. She loves it. She's like my biggest fan, but honestly, I know everyone says that, but like my mum is just like, oh my God, like I knew you were going to be a writer, you're going to be amazing. So, yeah. Oh, she should be. all right well it's been so so lovely chatting to you um brilliant and um i'm sure we'll see more of you soon um yeah hopefully out and about with your work yeah Yeah. thanks a lot thank you you so much it's been a pleasure to talk to you and and really do keep insisting on writing your perspective because it's such an important one Mm -hmm. thank you i appreciate that thank you so much Okay, so hello and welcome to this wonderful final section of the podcast where we are joined by our writer, Lachey Green. Hi, Lachey. Hello. Hello. Uh, Director, Erica Miller. Hello. Hi. Hello. Me, Josephine Start, um, as ever, and the wonderful Oya Heart Warrior. Hi, Oya. Hi. Hello. So Oya Heart Warrior is a yoga teacher, body worker who trained as a therapist, a racial trauma specialist and founder of Unapologetically Black Yoga. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. So Oya, I'd like to start with you, if that's okay. I read about your about unapologetically black yoga that you um that you founded that you said you built it to build compassionate spaces for black people to move and breathe freely beyond the white gaze as an experienced racial trauma yoga teacher you said you believe that it's vital to offer black people non-linear movement that is not confined to a mat or defined by how it looks learning to slow down sprawling out and connecting to what we sense and feel is far more important to a vibrant people who have been overworked displaced and systematically dehumanized i just love that that whole paragraph so i wanted to include it what led you to offering yoga outside of the therapy work that you used to do and what has it added to your practice and understanding So the therapy work that I used to do was very much focused on talking and working through psychological issues by just revisiting them and finding resources. But I found that there's so much trauma which is stored in our body, stored in our tissues. So without including movement and including the body as a resource, I found that it was a little bit lacking to um, kind of stop at just talking. 
I mean, the way that the brain works, it generally needs to integrate experiences on different levels. So there's a bit where you kind of can process and think about it and get your kind of executive function on the line. And then there's your survival responses, which have nothing to do with thinking or choice and can kind of come online when you least expect it. And so finding a language to speak to our body is generally through the body. So that's why I did that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So moving beyond the spoken word and into where, the, where it's actually taking place. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes like mobilizing the energy of trauma, which is in our bodies or the places where we can't connect to our bodies mm. is really important by actually movement and awareness. Mm, mm. I want to hone in on, hone in on some of the language here because we know Lachey's beautiful text um, eulogies is um, centered around um, trauma inherited trauma racial trauma all these kind of really complex ideas but actually I think it would be really useful if, if you could Oya give us um, so our listeners understand in your own words a definition of, of what trauma is and what its physical relationship is with the body. I think the most simple way of thinking about trauma is too much happening too soon and in a way that you just can't manage. So too much, too soon and overwhelming. And I think that's kind of the simplest way of, of thinking about trauma. And in terms of how it shows up in the body, you may just find that there's times when you just kind of numb out, you're not really present, you're having thoughts coming into your mind that you really wouldn't like coming in your mind, you're thinking about what happened, you can get flashbacks. So there's all sorts of unwelcome things that can happen and it can feel like you're a prisoner to your body and a prisoner to your thoughts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a brilliant explanation, thank you. I was just thinking when you were saying that, when you were reading or listening to Lachey's piece, how did you connect to it? And how do you think other listeners might connect to it as well? Well, it made me feel very sad, really sad to hear the story of, so there's, a, there's an older and a younger who are kind of holding hands at the beginning to revisit their lives. And when you hear that the mother was absent and she had, it seems that she had postpartum depression. And uh, it made me feel very sad that the impact of that on, on the child was almost that she was blaming herself for it and that she didn't really have any control over what was happening to her mother and how her mother was gonna to respond to her. And it made me feel sad that her mother actually left and she's wondering why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I wonder, I mean, obviously you can't kind of speak on behalf of like a general listener, but I think for someone listening to the piece who maybe has had similar experiences or is speaking to them, how do you think, I suppose I'm thinking with your clients, do they ever talk about artwork that taps into something for them or pieces such as Lachey's? That's not really how it would show up. I mean, when they're showing up, they're pretty much in hell and they're not really thinking about artwork. I mean, further down the line, that might be something that we talk about the things that they can remember that bring them joy. But one of the symptoms of postpartum depression is you kind of lose connection with what brings you joy. You forget it. Mm. You forget that. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's actually a, di a disconnection from any of that mm. stuff. Like, 
yeah this totally yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 there's there's a really brilliant um line in Lachey your piece that um you say one character says to the other pain is in our dna and this character experiences generational trauma but she also experiences um postnatal depression as as you say oya um as well as personally living through some very traumatic experiences and it did make me think just the role of a, of, of a therapist or as, or as a body worker like how do you un, how do you pick apart the causes for problems and help people like this character who uh, to work through kind of multiple and complex layers of stuff I think you start where the person is so whatever it is that they are bringing in that moment on that day that is really having this um it's almost I think I said before in trauma you can feel like you've been taken hostage like your body's been taken over your mind's been taken over so often it's the thing that feels most overwhelming for them and often it's a sense of not feeling very safe and so how we can try to support the person and resource the person to try to feel safe, whether it be in their body, in their mind, or even physically in the space that they're in. Mm. So we'd probably start with the basics of feeling safe mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and feeling heard that they're not actually crazy because of the experience that they're having, because there can be so much shame mm -hmm. around mental health issues. And particularly, you know, as a, a new mother, so much shame about not being able to cope mm. so being able to separate the experience they're having from who they are and working with them in a way that they can feel that they're still acceptable that they're still okay and they're still of value even though something is not working mm. would generally be where you would start mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and i'm i'm aware that this is sort of an audio format so it's possibly difficult for to, to um portray but how does a session like yours how how does it start it's a, it's a it's a physical experience but what what is it how would you explain it so it depends where the woman's energy is so in anxiety you can have a lot of energy in the body and it feels difficult to sit still and therefore getting up shaking moving, sounding, to just move that energy through the body. So there's a sense of, there is wisdom in our symptoms. So whatever they are, let's work with them and try to move them through the system. If the woman is really depleted of energy and really tired, it may be that she needs to put her feet up, like literally <laughs> put, your, put your feet up, rest, maybe have a meditation and a meditation, which is also about resourcing her and letting her know that she's not alone. So it very much depends where her energy level is, how her body feels and working with that. There isn't like a set prescription. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just thinking about the fact that this is such a kind of, it's, a, it's an intuitive and physical response to someone else's pain. I just wonder, Erica, not to put you on the spot, but <laughs> she says, kind of leaning towards the camera. But um, but I'm just thinking, as as a director um, and a director of this piece. So obviously, this was done for for audio. But if you were to do it for stage, kind of thinking about this kind of physical embodiment of trauma, I wonder if if you could speak to how you might 
stage it physically or whether you have any questions for Oya about that? Um, essentially, um, when we worked on it, first of all, it was just an ordinary play. There wasn't any um, sound. I mean, besides voices, obviously. Yeah. So Lachey and I had a chat about what we would add to make it more about audio. Um, and I, you know, I gave suggestions or not suggestions because I wasn't a case of me telling her what to do. It was mm. just, these are the things that you might want to think about because sound changes and how do you want to bring it to life? So though immediately when I read it, I could see it. Mm. <laughs> and I knew there would be three bodies in space mm. um, and that being nearer and further would be a thing. Oddly enough in my head, if I had been actually putting it on stage mm. I kind of wanted to put it in a playground mm. where actually the playground was sort of bigger than them <laughs> mm. that makes sense though they're adults yet sort of trying to figure out where they are mm. um, sorry Lachey this, this is you probably never heard these thought processes <laughs> don't, don't apologize I like the sound of it I'm actually like do you know what that could have worked I yeah. like it <laughs> yeah um, but I, I also, um, hands are very important within this piece. Yeah. So I would have liked them to actually explore holding on to each other mm. uh, and letting go. And though there, there's never a moment in some ways where um, Nyla Rose mm. character mm. is necessarily with all of them, I would have liked to have possibly a crossover for a brief moment when they all mm. are mm. Uh, in the same space. That's yeah, when we chatted, it feels like ages ago we had our chat lache, but when we when we <laughs> talked before, I remember we talked we were talking about, yeah, just hands coming up throughout it, the sim the symbol of these of these holding hands. Yeah. And it did it I've been thinking about it and it reminded me actually there's I think I think it's called Come and Go, but I could have mixed it with a different one, but it's a it's a Beckett play where there's three women and they keep holding hands in different formations. And there's just super simple, but there's just something about the chain, like who they're holding hands with at what, at what time and how they're doing it, that it's very moving. I wonder, Oya, with, um, with hands, I'm just thinking, I mean, <laughs> is, is there anything in, in just kind of hand holding or in, or, or in the touch of, of hands that, that you work with at all? Or are there kind of specific body parts that kind of hold anything in particular for you? I love the reference of hands in the play. Also, I really love that. Hands are very significant in our practice. So we have a ritual where we have people rub their hands together and feel the energy that's generated between our hands mm -hmm. and having this intentionality of creating our own healing through the energy that we can channel, that we all have the ability to channel through our hands. And so I think um, in Lachey's play where she talks about hands, there's something very healing about it. And there's something deeply, um, deeply disconnected when she loses touch with the hands of her mother, you know, when her hands go cold and she loses touch. There's something very primary about hands, hand holding and channeling through our hands. So we work with that very much in the yoga so people can feel that energy in their own hands and self-touch and kindness with the way that we behold ourselves and hold ourselves and touch is really important in the yoga and it can be a way that people can start to re-establish this sense of i am here because in trauma you can often feel like i'm not here 
basically I'm not here. So this sense of I'm here through touching ourselves and connecting mm. is really important in the class. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose to an extent as well, some some degree of reprogramming what touch means. Like if someone's had a violent experience with hands, there's there's an element of that is there as well. Totally, totally. Yeah, the idea that, you know, touch can mean different things and sort of remembering how touch can be kind and how touch can be loving can be a really important part of that healing journey when we're connecting with the body. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Talking about it in this in this way, kind of, I suppose, yeah, about kindness and touch, I thought we'd bounce back to you Lachey just because I wondered since since we last spoke if you've had any discoveries with the text and also I was thinking about just in terms of this kindness thought whether that whether it's an optimistic text or not I was thinking like is this an optimistic text or is it I mean to put it simply like a pessimistic text no. <laughs> yeah I was laughing because earlier when he was like I felt sad and then obviously she she expanded but yeah it, it is quite an emotive play yeah but I feel like all theatre or art in any form should make you feel something but I do that being said I do want it to be an optimistic play especially looking at it in the sense of like Lila Rose um I was breaking down her character and really like what she's saying is like I had enough now let's fix it which is easier said than done, but that small action in which she's at attempting to do is a bigger step than any of her predecessors have taken. So I, I definitely think there's optimism in that, and that's what the play then ends with. So you you have the experience of the story that you've just seen or heard, but then you have the last voice you're left with, which is Lila saying, well, actually, this doesn't have to break me as well. And I'm going to do this and actually you can also do this as well Mark. like let's fix this together so I think I think that's hopeful and I think it's a nice thing to hold on to so mm -hmm. that you're kind of left feeling like okay well maybe like there is a transfer to heal those wounds and this is clearly a person who's gone through a lot in their life mm -hmm. but now they have a daughter who is more like educated and aware and is like well I'm not doing this as well <laughs> I'm not going through this um which I think is nice so yeah I, I definitely want to leave it I'm optimistic mm. um, theme in that sense <laughs> yeah I mean it, I'm not saying one is better than the other I was just sort of curious yeah. how you yeah how you perceive it yeah and on on that optimistic journey idea I was thinking oh yeah with with your clients with the people that you work with do you do people um do women kind of graduate from this program or once you're on it are you also are you always sort of on it what's how's that work I think we're all always on it. There's yeah. never this, you know, nirvana. They would have us believe in yoga. Mm. You know, that we're all kind of journeying to nirvana. Mm. I think um, it's more about each day showing up in your life. <laughs> showing up in your life. And that in itself being something to be so grateful for. We have this affirmation where we say, I am here that's it I'm here that's it nothing more to add to expectations of who you should be or how you need to be you're here and that's enough and I think being able to get to that place where you recognize that you are here would be the only graduation 
that I think would be worth anything mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think I think we should probably mention as well. So the 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 yoga session that you run is called unapologetically black yoga. So this is it's space specifically for black women. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the journey that took you to creating that specifically. Well, I've been doing yoga for many, many years, and there was often only me as a black woman in the class. And it can have tremendous psychological effects when you don't see yourself represented. Mm -hmm. And also some of the movements just didn't make any sense. Like, why is this hurting? I remember being in yoga and thinking, why is this hurting? Mm -hmm. And coming from a place of understanding racial trauma and suffering in the body, feeling that we really needed spaces where we could see each other where we could acknowledge each other without having to explain or feel like we're the only one or feel like somehow we're different and where we could be comfortable where yoga didn't have to hurt but actually could feel good could feel good in our bodies and perhaps there could be rhythm that we could tap into and music and ancestral support so things from our culture which feel joyful so not coming from a point of lack and something's missing but coming from a place of we are already resourced and let's tap into that. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I just, I've just, yeah, wanted to hear your, you kind of articulate that journey because I think that's a really important one. And it does feel like a, like a rare space, I think, that sort of space. Um, I think it's, um, I think it's the only one and I'll let you into a little secret. So it's called unapologetically black yoga and people often feel quite confronted by that. But what they don't realize is that being a black person on this earth, and I can speak for myself, you find yourself every day apologizing. Mm. Every day, even if it's not with your words, there's a sense where, am I really meant to be here? Are you looking at me strangely? What's going on? So there's always a sense of apologizing for our very existence. Mm. So it's called unapologetically black, knowing that that's always going to be a journey. And we may never get there in this lifetime where we can truly say, I'm not apologizing for being here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, yeah. And it's worth saying what you think, that I'm, I'm not black. I'm, I'm white in this space, um, just to make that clear to the listener. But, um, but I think, Erica or Lachey, I wonder if you have something to say maybe about the crossover uh, with theatre in that respect and kind of the spaces that are or aren't there or the sense of apology that may or may not be there I don't know do you have any feelings on that uh, okay yeah. <laughs> um I'll let you go first <laughs> thanks for sharing um <laughs> essentially I am often one of the few people who are in there that is not white and so I sort of get used to it yeah. Um, and this actually was the first time where uh, the whole thing was cast black women, mm-hmm. <laughs> a black writer, uh, and for our um, sound design by the lovely Sarah Saeed, though she isn't black, she is also a um, person of colour. Yeah. It was just a joyful process that we kind of didn't have to speak about necessarily yeah but we kind of all acknowledged if that makes sense yeah 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 Yeah. um and it isn't a case of yeah I I, I don't think it's necessarily always deliberate but there is always a sense that you're slightly different but yeah (laughs) yeah but I, I this is one of the beautiful things about this play that I just truly enjoyed the whole process yeah 
No, I'm glad. The Shay, you look yeah. like you're about to say something there. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I'd say also I want to say like just like extending a thank you to Oya for creating a space such as unapologetically black yoga because having that there and it being like one of the only spaces where black people can go and be free and do something and use their bodies in the way they're supposed to I think a lot of people out there benefit from it like I know before we had a little conversation Erica was like I'm gonna come along I'm gonna come along I'm gonna be giggling it after I'll be like book me in <laughs> but um yeah I think I think there is a lack of um I don't know I think more so these days it's increasing but I can sense there is a lack of representation for certain voices in certain topics and that that's the only kind of disparity I see but I think as well like I I, I said in my um in my summary that I'm glad that Fizzy Sherbet are allowing voices to be heard and different different people of all experiences to come and share their stories so the fact that I can be a part of something and work with a team of people of colour who also either resonate or feel my words that is just like a really humbling but really like nice experience so yeah mm. yeah no, I'm, I mean, we were just, we're, we're obviously, we've told you a thousand times how much we love the show, but like we were so thrilled with the yeah. and with, yeah, the team. I think as well, I wasn't expecting it to, um, for so many people to, to, to either feel how I felt writing it and giving it out to people, or also feel different things that I hadn't even thought of in writing it, because I guess when you, you write down experience, um, there will always be elements that are universal and then not universal to some people and they can relate to certain parts and then they can't but then sometimes that not being able to then gives you a different point of view for it um so I feel like it's just been really mind mind blowing <laughs> and eye-opening in a sense but it's a it's a feeling I can't describe because when I hear people saying how much they love it and how much it means to them and you know like different parts of it and I'm just like oh wow like but it, it's a really nice feeling and I'm glad that I've approached it in a, in a in a good way and the right way as well. Yeah awesome and for you Erica like working with a you know a young writer a new writer and also a writer of like a very poetic text quite an unusual poetic text what was what was that like? I don't okay so oddly at the same time as working on this I was working also on a poetry feature film where I was ah, the um, yeah. director of photography and the assistant director um, yeah. for the and it was a kind of it just felt like it was like a moment of poetry <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah uh, so I was like really excited uh, to be part of this and it's also slightly unusual it shouldn't be but there are less poetry and uh, it's it's slightly unusual that that necessary is what the text is Mm-hmm. but I really enjoyed it and I feel that it added a certain other element to it yeah and I was so excited thanks to Shay <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> it's interesting isn't it to kind of be in a sort of poetic season creatively <laughs> and then it's all it's all in, and then yeah sometimes it's, it's interesting things sort of coalesce together and you'll yeah. find oh actually all of these things are happening at once and then it will be a bunch of other similar sort of things yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, I think possibly to end, unless you guys have any other questions for each other that you want to... I had a question. There's a question I really wanted to ask Lachey, and it was about the mother who left 
and I was just wondering what she would say to her daughter if she could come back and say this is what happened this is why I left what might she say is that putting you on the spot too much no not not <laughs> at all um and I just again like this is another part of it that I really love because people come and ask me questions and I'm like right this is this is also a thing and it's so nice to like create a whole world from just some words but I think ideally if she could come back and explain I would just love for her to have a moment of realization and be like this is what happened but I just couldn't connect with myself which meant I couldn't connect with you and I think in a in a happier world she would just be like yeah, I am. I am sorry, and she would get that apology from her mum because I feel like that's that's all she needs. She just needs like a little bit of a hug and you know a little bit of a talk. Yeah, I hope that that's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that was a bit of a. I, I just kept wondering what she would say, particularly as really feeling that the daughter was blaming herself, and it's almost like relieving her of that responsibility that it was nothing to do with her you know you talk about her um she came out whole but she broke something in the mother something in the mother broke but it's not her fault yeah and funny enough you bring up that part of the play because when reading the script and also hearing it you can also see you can see the tone change um and after that she doesn't mention really blaming herself anymore because once she then understands like the um the mental health side of it she gains a bit of understanding mm. to where her mum was at that point so that that was interesting that you brought up just thought <laughs> I'd mm. drop that in there thank you that's the kind of optimism as well isn't it optimism yeah. piece yeah. yeah also to make it you know more optimistic because I believe in, like there's there's never a it doesn't have to be a continuous cycle and also if it is then that you can have a moment of realization in your life no matter how far or how how like little you are in the journey of struggling with certain things it's just that drive to like if you want it if you want to get to a place where you can you want to feel better and you want to deal with these emotions like it's never too late to do so so yeah absolutely absolutely I agree with that and I think for me because I think maybe I sounded a bit pessimistic in my work sounds <laughs> a bit pessimistic <laughs> <back even. laughs> but I think from that place of like connecting to our bodies and our emotions there is so many possibilities from there you know mm. to show up to show up is then that opportunity to then make changes in your life and, and make things different in your life because you're present so I, I hope it didn't sound too pessimistic when I talk about work with racial trauma. <laughs> no, I think because when you're talking about the sort of the graduating or not idea, I think to me, I was like, it's getting to a place where that is, um, it's pleasurable and, and nice to, to be in, in, that, in that space. And therefore, you're not going to stop doing it because it's good. And you see a lot of that in the class. You see a lot of that. I think somebody was describing the class a bit like church, but without needing to believe. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that, yeah. is really, that is fascinating, isn't it? I think, and for a lot of people, I think there's where, where there isn't, where there isn't formalised religion, there's a gap. We need touch. We need other people. We need that communal space. It's these, I mean, that's, 
the part that I think art plays in our lives, in our mental health. Like art is that place where we can release, where we can connect with other people's pain, where we can see ourselves, where we can see the stories and not feel alone. Because so often, and I mean, you really get that in, in the play, Lachey, the mother seems so, so lonely, you know, really disconnected. And when you can connect with other people's experiences through your play, it can give you that sense of hope. And it's like, it's not just me. And I think art is really important for that in people's mental health. So thank you for that, Lachey, by speaking about these things that people sometimes feel too ashamed to talk about. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I think as well, it's a really big thing with um, people who are dealing with difficult emotions. They do feel very isolated and that. Um, so it is it's always, I, I want to say reassuring, reassuring your pain. But um, when you know you're not a soul, like you're not so you're not going through something by yourself and there's other people out there um who are also experiencing the same and so you kind of feel like well if they can do they can get through this then I can get through this so yeah that's wonderful and on that note actually you mentioning the role of of art where um I'm wondering for, for everyone in the group like if there's any uh, women in the arts or even kind of pieces of art whether that's kind of like music or plays or um, films that are ex um, exciting them at the moment and it's and inspiring them at the moment I answered this before in my interview but I know you did before yeah. I know yeah yeah, yeah. since then I have experienced more things so it's fine I'll go again um I recently saw Queens of Shiva at Soho Theatre and I know it's like a revival and like it goes on all the time but it's the first time that I've seen it and that for me is my first mm -hmm. um experience of unapologetic blackness on the stage um that was I just felt it was emotive I was like oh I left like I'm crying but also I'm happy and for something that can do that for me um was great because you just you just see yourself on the stage you see your mum your auntie your sisters your your cousins it's just such a a unified experience of like what black women go through so yeah that that stood out to me recently <laughs> nice one. thanks for remaining inspired the show always <laughs> um I think for me I, I just recently saw the film um I think it was made in 2017 I'm not a witch I am not a witch um fascinating film about apparently they have witch camps in different parts of Africa and they kind of explore just the kind of marginalization of these women and the power and the love that these women also have for each other so I was really inspired by that this idea that probably you know there's a whole legacy of women being accused of being witches when they're very powerful and how people have ways in a patriarchal society of just really silencing that voice and how yet even in that kind of place where they were really marginalized and having to work for no money and not eating very well there was so much love and power in that group and they tended to each other so I was really moved by how they tended to each other mm -hmm. yeah. amazing is that uh, is that documentary or is that fiction it's fiction brilliant film I am not a witch really recommend it Nice one, definitely checking that one out. And um, any, anything from you, Erica, at all? Uh, I have admittedly seen nothing <laughs> at the moment. Yes. <laughs> um, I kind of wish I had. 
Um, no, no, it, it doesn't, it can be. Um, but the person, yeah, well, the person that I, um, that continues to inspire me is Martina Laird. Mm. Uh, she's an amazing actress yes. uh, and director and she's brilliant. I mean, I think everyone kind of knows her as comfort and casualty, but I just really admire her work and even the bits that you see her in. Yeah, uh, she's just amazing. <laughs> just, she's also yeah. incredibly supportive of young yes. actors. I've met her at a yeah. few kind of new plays, short play nights, and she's always there. <laughs> yeah, no, I think yeah. she's amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, fantastic. All right, well, thank you so much, everyone, for joining in this conversation. It's been such a joy, and um, we're just so excited to get this episode out. So, thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank you, and thank you, Boya. <laughs> Thank you all. Thank you, Joe, Lachey and Erica. Thank you. Brilliant. Eulogies was written by Lachey Green, directed by Erica Miller and performed by Rolly Akorodudu, Sophie Cartman and Chanel McKenzie. Sound design was by Sarah Saeed. Our special guest was Oya Heart Warrior and our episode hosts were Lily McLeish and Josephine Start. The episode editor was Lily McLeish. Fizzy Sherbet is produced by Steph Weller for Playwell Productions and Amina Hamid Productions. This episode is only possible thanks to the kind support of the National Lottery through Arts Council England and the Sainsbury Foundation. Thanks also to our anonymous supporters, You Know Who You Are. You can find out more about Fizzy Sherbet on fizzysherbetplays.com and if you enjoyed this episode, please like, follow, subscribe and review.